is our fourth week, actually our last week in our I Have Decided series. premise of this series is, is that with a new year, there's a new opportunity to make decisions that can set or reset the trajectory of our life. Uh, I have decided. Your decisions determine your future. They determine your tomorrow. They determine your destiny. And the first decision we talked about was the decision that only one thing is needed. That the best decision you could make in 2015 is the decision to get closer to Jesus Christ. All the other decisions that you make flow out of that decision. Second decision was the decision to follow Jesus. I lay down my wants, my wishes, my dreams, my desires. I take up the cross of Christ and I follow him. And the idea of following implies motion. And if you're going to get close to Jesus, you're going to have to move because Jesus is on the move. Jesus is doing stuff. And when you follow, you take steps to follow. And so the decision in 2015 is, is just figure out where you are at spiritually and then just take your next steps of spiritual growth so you can follow Jesus. Third decision was to find my purpose. I don't get to design or determine the purpose for my life. God has already designed that. I get to discover it and fulfill it. And so I just need to decide, God, show me what your purpose is for my life. And then today we conclude the series with the decision I have decided to focus on relationships. Because who you are and where you are in life is determined by your relationships. Uh, all of us have had bad relationships. All of us have had pain. We've had death. We've had words. Uh, all of us could easily come to the conclusion that the most important relationship I have is with me. And I'll make my work relationships disposable. I'll make my friendships disposable. I'll make my parents disposable. I'll make my brothers and sisters disposable. I'll make my marriage disposable. I'll make my kids disposable. You cross the line, I'm out of here. And that's how we wind up with more and more people who are around more and more people, but they are alone. And so we go to work and we work in a crowd, but we're alone. We come to church and we worship in a crowd, but we're alone. We're, we're in a, a home, a family, a house full of people, and we're alone. Solomon, wisest man to ever live, said this. He said, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. The guy had no relationships. He was alone. And so he tried to focus his life on something other than relationships. He tried to build his life on his career, on his wealth, yet he still did not find contentment and satisfaction. Why? Because God wired you up to be in relationship, in community. The biblical word is in fellowship. And so my goal today is to convince you that you need to be in relationships. You need to get into healthy relationships that are good for you. And I've been doing this for 25 years, and I know when I start talking about you getting into relationship with, with other people that you start to push back. And so I'm just going to take every excuse I've heard here and just march through it for you. First one is naivete. On your notes, write down naivete, a little French lesson. It's, it's a fancy French word that means I didn't know. Nobody ever told me that relationships were important for me. And maybe you've grown up thinking you could do life alone. Guys especially like to think they can do life alone. I'm tough. I can do this. I don't need nobody. 
Muhammad Ali was, was always full of bluster and braggadocia. I mean, he was loud and proud. And one time he got on an airplane and he refused to buckle up the seatbelt. And so the flight attendant called him on it and said, you know, you need to buckle up. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle up. <laughs> you know, we overestimate our ability to live life on our own terms. But we were made to live in relationship, in community, in fellowship. Now, here's the neat deal. As soon as you write down naivete, you can scratch that one off the list. Because no more, I didn't know I was supposed to be in relationships because I just told you. And so you're not naive anymore. You are sophisticated. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's another reason, another excuse to live life alone. And that's my temperament. My temperament. Oh, Pastor Kelly, it's easy for you. You're outgoing. You like people. Well, maybe I don't like people as much as you think. <laughs> you know, I, Pastor, I'm shy. I'm bashful. I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to have relationships with extroverts. Well, guess what? It's hard for extroverts to have relationships with introverts. Truth is, it's hard for all of us. I mean, relationships are just hard. And it's the very fact that they are hard that makes them necessary for all of us. Introverts and extroverts need each other. God created them both. And so you just need to learn how to move into relationships and navigate them, whatever your temperament is. Another reason why relationships are hard is fear. I'm afraid. I've never been in a small group before. I don't know anybody. I don't know what to do. You Christians are weird. Now, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to show what's up at somebody's house. There's going to be a circle of chairs in the living room. There's going to be a chair right in the center of the circle, and that's going to be my chair. And I'm going to have to sit right there, and I'm going to have to confess my deepest, darkest secrets, and everybody's going to come over and lay hands on me, and somebody's going to hold a cross in front of me, and they're going to cast the devil out of me. And the only thing to drink is going to be Kool-Aid. Just take a breath. Take a breath. That is not what's going to happen. You know, you're going to get into a small group and you're going to find a group of people who are just struggling to live life just like you. The truth is, the more we know one another, the more we discover we are more alike than different. We are more alike than different. I found that to be cross-culturally around the world. You start interacting with people, we're more alike than different. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Because you got issues, I got issues, people sitting around you got issues, everybody got issues. In fact, if you don't have any issues, that's your issue. Okay? So you just need to get over the fear and just move into relationships. Another excuse. Past experiences. You've gotten burned in the past. You had a relationship that was so painful, maybe with a parent, an ex-spouse, an ex-friend, and you are so wounded that you have decided, I am never going to do that again. Now, let me tell you something about that that may help you. you. You need to understand that the pain you experienced in that relationship was not just about that relationship. It was not just about the two of you. Satan was up to something far greater when he destroyed that relationship. He was looking further down the line. He was trying to destroy you. 
And he wanted to make sure that that bad relationship would hurt you so deeply that you would decide never again to get connected to anybody else. He wants to rob you of what God knows you need that you get in relationships. So don't let the devil win. Yes, he hurt you in the past, but don't let him destroy your future by robbing you of your relationships. God created us to find recovery, healing, help in relationships. That's why the devil works so hard to destroy them, because they're crucial for us. Last excuse is huge. It's the excuse of busyness. If I were going to do a fifth sermon in this I Have Decided series, it would be I have decided to get my schedule in order. Because if you're going to make 2015 work, folks, you have got to learn how to handle your time. Bible talks a lot about redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, counting your days. And in this family thing, the biggest battle that families face today is busyness. Uh, Katie and I ha have raised three kids. Uh, our kids are ages uh, 19, 28, and 37. We had a kid every nine years. We were trying for five, but we just couldn't make it. Five kids. Uh, I, I think we've been successful as parents. And, and here's why. Because, number one, our kids love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, our kids love us. They honor their father and their mother. And number three, our kids love you. Our kids love the church. And I just think as a parent, if you can raise a kid who loves God, who loves their parents, who loves the church, everything else will fall into line. Now, how did we manage to do that? The number one thing was the battle over busyness. And, and let me tell you how we won over busyness. First, the idea that Katie and I did not have time to be in a small group because we were too busy doing kid stuff, that, that was just foreign to us. The idea that as adults we would be so busy doing kid stuff that as, as adults we didn't have time to maintain our spiritual growth, totally foreign. The idea that I would be so busy at work that I didn't have time for church and for small group, foreign. The idea that we would be so busy with a hobby or a sport or an RV that we didn't have time for church in small group, not an option. Now, I tell you, it was a battle. And in fact, one of the darkest spiritual times in my life was when I had a job that required me to work hours that conflicted with our church activities. And it was a good job. I was an operations manager for Citibank. I worked in their retail division. And in retail, I had to work evenings, had to work weekends, Christmas and holidays were crazy, and it just started pulling us out of church, and I began to dry up spiritually, my family began to dry up spiritually, Katie and I began to grow apart, and I changed jobs. I mean, I was there almost two years, and I decided this ain't worth it, and I gave up a great job, good career path, went to a, a smaller company, less money, uh, less chance of promotion, just took a huge step back and saved everything. Because for me, the first thing I needed to build into my schedule was a small group. Just as a husband and a father, I wanted to learn God's plan and purpose for my life so I could communicate that to my kids. Now, one of the ways Katie and I won over this busyness deal is we just went to different small groups. For years, Katie has gone to a women's small group on Wednesday night. Wednesday night became her small group with her, with her ladies, and Wednesday night became my night with the kids. And for years, I have done a men's small group at 6.30 in the morning because my family does not miss me at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> they don't even know I'm gone. 
Okay? But because of our commitment to our own spiritual growth as parents, we've raised kids who are committed to their own spiritual growth. And all of our kids at this point lead adult small groups. Actually, most of them are involved in teen and kids small groups as well, even the 19-year-old. So parents, you have got to win the battle over busyness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be added unto you. Now, if your goal is to make your kids happy through activity and busyness, you will not succeed. You will not succeed. They won't be happy. Can't do it. But if you make the decision that you want to make them holy, happiness comes as a side effect. It's a byproduct. I mean, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy in the Lord. Happiness flows out of spirituality. And so small group relationships are crucial for your family. They're crucial for the parents. They're crucial for the kids. And you might say, oh yeah, Kelly, that's your opinion. Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Let's take a look at our key passage here today. It says, the end of all things is near. And I just want to tell you, that is not a trite little Bible phrase. That, 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 this is, is the God's honest truth. The end of all things is near. If you compare world events and Bible prophecy, the end is near. All this crazy stuff you see going on out there in the world, God is not taken by surprise. It fits right into God's plan. It's right on time. And so you and I need to be living in such a way that we are ready for Jesus Christ to show up at any moment. Seriously, don't be living life like this life is all there is. Don't be living life like this is going to go on all the time because this thing is coming to an end soon. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. Don't panic. Be clear-minded. The end of all things is near. Don't do anything rash or stupid. Be self-controlled. Pray. And then it says, above all. Now, just a little Bible reading tip. If you're reading through the Bible and you get to a phrase that says, above all, you want to slow down and pay attention. Especially if it's telling you how to live through the end times. It says, above all, love each other deeply. I mean, isn't it interesting that, that the, the end is near, above all, and the Bible immediately goes straight to other people, straight to relationships. Love one another deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love can bail you out of a lot of trouble. Love can bail you out of a world of hurt. And God has designed relationships to protect you, to protect you from the world, to protect you from the devil, to protect you from yourself. You need other people to have your back. And then it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why does it say without grumbling? Because as soon as you start inviting people over to the house, you're going to have issues. People are going to break stuff. People are going to say things that offend you. People are going to stay too late. People are going to eat the last piece of your cake. <laughs> issues arrive when you have people over to your house. And God says you still need to do it, and you need to grow out of the need to grumble about it. In fact, you grow to an even deeper level. You learn to use your gifts to serve others. Each one should use whatever gift he has received, say it with me, to serve others. Yeah. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And then it flows over into your speech. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And you hear that, you know, speaking the very words of God. And we think that means we get to speak with authority. I told you that you need to do this. No, speaking the very words of God, you are speaking life-giving words, words that encourage, words that build up. The very words of God are, are words that strengthen and bring healing. The very words of God bring deliverance and redemption and salvation. It's not some sort of authoritative screeching into the lives of people. It's life-giving words that build up. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. And look at the shift that just happened right here. This does not depend on your own strength. You, you, you don't do this in your strength. You do it with the strength that God provides. There is something about moving into relationships that unleashes the power of God in your life. It, it's just an amazing thing. And the problem is, we try to do relationships out of our own strength. That's why our relationships stink. Because you weren't designed to do relationships on your terms. You were designed to do relationships in God's terms. And that's when God's power shows up. And that's when things improve. Why? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Your relationships aren't even about you. Your relationships are about God's glory. Your relationships aren't about you. Your relationships are just tools so that Jesus Christ can be praised. Above all, so that in all things, and then it's just all this people stuff, all this relationship stuff, it's hospitality, it's serving, it's encouraging, it's loving, it's be nice stuff, it's work it out stuff, it's stop grumbling stuff. So you and I have got to make some decisions about relationships. I have four decisions that you need to make. Everybody in here needs to make at least one of these. Many of us need to make more than one. So what are they? I have decided, number one, to nurture my important relationships. I have some critical relationships in my life. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a father-in-law. I'm a grandpa. I'm a pastor. I'm a co-laborer. I'm a friend. I have some critical relationships that I can't just leave where they are. Relationships don't stay where you leave them. You know, every great relationship happens on purpose, not by accident. And the imagery that the Bible uses for relationships is the image of a body. Because you're not an island unto yourself. You are part of something bigger than yourself. You are part of a body. Look at this, Colossians 2.19. The whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. You know, notice that it's talking about the connecting points, the joints where the body comes together. That's what's crucial. Now, in the physical body, we, we, we talk about exercise and nutrition and getting good sleep. I mean, if you care for your body, you get to use it for a long time. You don't care for your body, you wind up dead. And then it's too late to work out. You know, I think I'll work out. You can't work out, you're in the box. Okay? No, you've got to care for the body. You've got to strengthen and nurture it before it breaks. You've got to fix your marriage before it breaks. 
can't wait till the engine's in pieces laying on the pavement. You've got to change the oil. You've got to do the routine maintenance. You know, it just grieves me as a pastor how many times I've had couples come to me for counseling, and they come long after the marriage is dead. In fact, they don't want counseling. They just want me to pronounce it dead so they can get out of it. You know, wise is the person who calls the counselor and says, I want some counseling for my marriage. Why? What's wrong? Nothing. I just want to make it better. You know, those of you in marriage, work on it now. Nurture it now. Parents, work on your relationship with your kids now. Don't wait till they're on drugs and run away. Work on it now. Nurture your relationships. You don't throw a log on a fire after the fire's gone out. Nurture your relationships. Second decision you need to make is to restore my broken relationships. Restore my broken... Oh, pastor, that sounds painful. Well, the pain of an unresolved conflict is greater than the pain of resolving it. The pain you're feeling now is greater than the pain of fixing it. And all I'm asking you to do is to do your part, even if they don't cooperate, because usually they don't. But even if they don't cooperate, you need to make the decision that in 2015, I'm not bringing this pain into this new year with me. I'm not bringing this record of wrongs with me into a new year. I'm not bringing this list of hurts. I'm not carrying this gunny sack of offenses. I'm not carrying these wounds around anymore. Instead, I'm doing Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Because yes, people are going to do bad stuff to you. But you're not going to do bad stuff back to them. I mean, you get into this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mode, and everybody just winds up blind and toothless. I mean, what good is that? And so God calls on you to break the cycle of harm. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. I'm deciding I'm going to be the one who forgives people. I'm going to be the one who doesn't hold on to a hurt couple was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and someone asked the wife how she managed to stay married to the husband for 50 years and she says when we first got married i decided to make a list of his 10 greatest faults and then i was decided i was just going to choose to overlook those faults for the sake of our marriage but she said i never actually made a list and so every time he would do something bad i would just say well lucky for him that's on the list I mean, why not live that way? Lucky for you, that's on the list. Lucky for you, I'm letting God handle that one. Lucky for you, I'm not worrying about that. I mean, you do that, and you'll be happy, happy, happy. Number three, I have decided to sever any harmful relationships. Because some of you are in harmful relationships that aren't good for you. There's that flirtatious relationship at work and you're married some of you are living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you know it's not right you feel guilty about it you, know, you need to sit, decide to get out of that harmful relationship you know when we move into those relationships there's a spiritual wound that's keeping us from doing the right thing and we move into those relationships and we think we're protecting our heart from being hurt and really what's happening is we are hardening our heart and it's harmful harmful to the relationship and so you may need to sever it you need to sever it or make it right nurture it 
guys, you're, you're hanging around that group, and you know, they always got that sleazy joke thing going on or that filthy text thing. You need to get out of that. You know, you may think, oh, you know, it's not that critical. Look what the Bible says about toxic relationships. It says, a mirror reflects a man's face. But what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. And you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your kids' friends, I'll show you your kids' future. You know, a lot of times, oh, my kid's a good kid, but he's got bad friends. You, you know, don't be in denial about this. You know, good kids don't hang out with bad kids. I mean, if they do, they wind up in trouble. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And that's why I want you to get into a small group with a bunch of men and women who are looking for God's wisdom rather than hanging out with a bunch of fools who are going to hurt you. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. You know, the idea of being yoked together is the idea of close fellowship. It's not saying never be around unbelievers. It's saying, don't get so tight with unbelievers. Don't get so yoked together that, that they determine the direction and pace of your life. You, know, don't, you get yoked together with unbelievers. They will take you places that God doesn't want your life to go. And so some of you in 2015, you need to make some friend decisions. You may need to sever some relationships. Number four, I need to decide to initiate some meaningful relationships. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now the day there with a capital D means judgment day. So notice again how important relationships are in connection with the end times. As you see the judgment day coming, you need to be meeting together with other people. You need meaningful relationships. And so what are some meaningful relationships that you might not have? I'm, I'm going to give you four. But if you don't have these in your life, you need to decide to get them in 2015. Number one, you need a relationship with a church. A relationship. You don't need just to go to church. You need to be in a relationship with a church. And if you're church hopping, I mean, if you're just bouncing around, you go here when they got something going on over here and they got something going on, and you're just hopping back and forth, you need to stop it. Just pick a church and get connected, get committed. It doesn't have to be this one. There are great churches all over our community. Just pick one and get connected, get committed. You know, if it's Rockbrook, great. Jump into our Church 101 class on February 1st and get in the game. Number two, you need a relationship with a small group. We're starting our small group sign-ups this weekend, and we've got men's groups and women's groups and co-ed groups and, and couples groups and fitness groups and finance groups and marriage groups, and we've got groups meeting all week, all throughout the community. In fact, this year, we had so many small groups, we didn't make a list, we made a book. We actually have a catalog of small groups that you've got to look through in order to, and it's going to get bigger. But you need to work through it and pick out a group and get plugged into it. Third, you need a relationship with a team. You need to get on a team that does something that matters and is productive. And, and I'm just so excited we're rolling out this dream team stuff uh, this year. I mean, it takes a lot to make ministry happen around here. And, and you can play a part in that. I mean, you want to know what God is doing in this crazy, goofy world out there? God, God's plan is clear. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And that's what God's doing out there in all that chaos. He's building the church. And you can be a part of it. You can be a part of helping build a church right here. And honestly, we're helping build churches all around the world. Get plugged in. Be part of a team. Here's the last one. 
And really, the last one's the first one. I mean, it's, it's the same as the first one I gave you in this series. You need a relationship with God. And as I said, a relationship with God, I don't say you need religion. You need to be in a relationship with God. And we just ought to be blown away by the fact that God wants to have a relationship with us. I mean, God loves us. God knows us. God wants us to love Him and know Him. God wants to talk to us. And he wants us to talk to Him. Relationship is miles away from religion. Your relationship is fun. Relationship is alive. Relationship is meaningful. Relationship is real. Now, only you know if you're in a relationship with God or not. And you could just be attending church going through the motions. And, and if that's you, then you're, you're missing out on the best part of this whole thing. You're missing out on knowing God. And you might say, you know, Kelly, if that's true, what do I do? You just need to make some decisions. God has already showed you in an unconditional way that he loves you. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. God's already showed you that he loves you. He just wants you to love him back. That's what salvation is. Salvation is just moving into a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it starts with a decision in your heart and a confession with your mouth.